Hello and welcome to the VanCast. I'm your host, Graham Eels, and today we're with Ryan. How are you doing today, Ryan? Well, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you feeling today, Graham? I'm doing pretty well. Honestly, I'm happy to have my mask off. It's mm. a pretty revolutionary time. For me, I feel amazing. I'm so happy to just take it off and be able to breathe properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also feeling pretty well about the, that kind of issue recently, man. Like, um, It's kind of wonderful being able to be free to see the faces of my peers at school and, and breathe the fresh air straight, straight to the nose. Um, yeah, yeah, honestly. Um, but I don't know about you, but I've noticed, uh, especially on public transit, majority of the people still have their mask on. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, and just from a, like philosophical standpoint do you have any uh ideas of why they keep their mask on yeah i mean bro like i think it's pretty simple i think most people think that the mask works first of all they think it does like do something which i mean i I don't really know how i feel about that but like it kind of makes sense that on the bus we're very close to one another and so most people think that the mask makes sense on the bus because we're so close and like maybe at school you're a bit further away from people it's been more chill to take it off. I think, yeah, it's like, I think that's just what it is, really. Yeah, honestly, I think you're right, because it seems to be only on transit where you have, like, so many people. Because mostly mm-hmm. other places, people don't have their mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just recycled air. It's all the same recycled air. And and what's great is, like, you have the freedom to wear a mask if you want, you know? And yeah. you have the freedom to not wear one. So I think... I think it's good for everybody, and I think people are really starting to look up. I can see the morale increasing around me. Yeah. Yeah, like, I was thinking, like, being able to take the mask off is, like, legitimately good for my mental health. Oh, 100%. Like, 100%. Yeah, like, it's actually, like, it's nice. It's actually nice. <clears throat> well, it's like, it's like yeah. you have something that's, uh, like, that you have to do, and it's not... It's not that it's like a good or bad thing, but when you have something you have to do, it's always sitting in your mind. Like you're like always thinking, oh, I need my mask or I need to bring my mask or I need to have a mask with me. Right. And it does add a little bit of stress. So being able to Mm -hmm. not have to think like, oh, I need a mask to go here. Oh, I need to be weary in case I need a mask or this. It's just like there's a little bit of a weight just lifted off your shoulders. Yes. And it is. It's. It feels so good, and I can just see people, like, I'm going to the gym and stuff. A lot more people are out in public places, um, especially, like, the gyms and places like that, because I guess people are just more willing now that they don't have to wear masks. Yeah, it's, uh, it really seems like a step towards things feeling normal again. I don't know, but at the same time, it's, like... It really is, I guess, interesting to see how some people are reacting to it. Um, like, I, you know, I'm not sure how much truth is in these sort of statements, but I do really feel sometimes, like, on the bus, not wearing the mask, that people are looking at me. And I don't know, I, I don't know if you felt this, but um, I, 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 actually, seen, yeah. I actually had an instance um, in the gym where. I just went to the open machine, right? And it was between yeah. two people. And they both got off, got up and left. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I kind of like at first I kind of felt bad, but then I thought like, how could I know what they're thinking? You know? Yeah. You know, like I'm just following the rules, right? I don't yeah. know that the person I go to is going to get up and leave. And I kind of feel like kind of crappy for them. But at the same time, it's like for the past two years, um, their perspective has been supported, right? And it it's also my perspective too. Um, but even now we're we're in a we're in a time where you have to respect the other perspective, um, which is people want to take off their mask because they're allowed, and mm-hmm. and you have to be. Sometimes you just have to deal with things that you don't like. Just like there was a small percentage of people that didn't like the mask mandate, but still wore masks mm-hmm. because you know it's a democracy and. You, you do what the government tells you and you know that like if you don't like it you can go out and vote or or take some political action right mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and yeah it's 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 really important to understand that yes it may suck you may still want to wear your mask but it's okay that other people aren't because they have freedoms and them not wearing a mask is not gonna kill you like it would have before because we have vaccines we have a lower rate some people have natural immunity uh and it's very neat to see how we've come together to take on this virus as well Mm -hmm. though i guess like right now like something i'm just appreciating is like how there is something kind of like truly new uh like i know like different places in the world have not had mandates like we have um, but as far as Vancouver goes, like, I mean, I don't really get around at all. So I've pretty much been in Vancouver the whole time during COVID. <clears throat> and so like now with them removing the mandate, this is like something that's actually new in my life, like an, like an actual, like new development in the society that I inhabit. And I guess that's actually like just exciting to me. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, like, I know what you mean as in, um, like you, I feel like you're kind of like me and you like to observe kind of how people react to things and this is something Mm -hmm. new and interesting because all around you in your environment people are reacting to it differently right yeah no totally yeah yeah and and you get to kind of see all the different perspectives and see like some how some people react to certain things and and see how people kind of slowly maneuver into what was normal reality before this Mm-hmm. And you can see people like kind of like peeking their head into the in the windows, like, is it okay? Like, <laughs> can I mm-hmm. can I go out here? Is this because like just like anything, people are afraid of change, and it it became normal. It became normalized, right? This was like normal. Yeah. So now going back to it, it's like how we had to adapt to the pandemic at the beginning. It's weird. It's like what the hell? Mm-hmm. I have to I have to go back to like family gatherings and go to parties it's like i have Mm -hmm. to learn how to socialize Mm -hmm. um but and and some people may never take the mask off right (laughs) yeah yeah that's very well a possibility um because the virus is not good it's not like it's going to disappear it's going to be under control but it's not like it's gone right like Mm -hmm. some people might just like the idea of wearing a mask in public settings because maybe they just don't want to get the flu mm-hmm. um so i bet there'll they'll be a little there'll be a group of people that will keep the mask on just tell you yeah permanent maskers permanent um, maskers 
yeah. <laughs> become <laughs> will become a new uh it'll be a new thing yeah a new thing maskers but yeah um, i guess like because now there's a new thing where it's that you can be not you can be wearing no mask inside and not be like an anti an, any masker because before in school like if you're taking your mask off and walking around it's like either you know you're just like so uh like you just didn't know or didn't realize it and you just look stupid and people think you might be stupid or you're just trying to like actively be an anti-masker and be like look i'm yeah. taking my mask off and then then you're just being like confrontational or, to, or you do start, like, like do like the chin diaper strategy yeah you know yeah 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 <laughs> the, the nose peeking out the top strategy which yeah. i always thought kind of like looked just like you know i mean it's just like well, it's on, like you might as well just not have a mask on i know yeah yeah it's just like so like yeah, but then now you can be wearing no mask inside and just be, like, normal. But it's, like, we were grown so accustomed to seeing the no mask as, like, weird, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the only <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. that's changed is the, I guess, like, the government. The government's mm-hmm. decision, right? So mm-hmm. they still have that kind of, like, ingrained feeling of, like, when they see someone without a mask, like, shocking. Yeah, um, and that'll take a little bit of time to go away. Yeah, um, and you know, if you want to get a bit philosophical about it, you could say that it's in like a situation like this where we can really see, um, kind of laws affecting our, um, perce- uh, per- okay, wait, you gotta you delete this. <laughs> yeah, like affecting <laughs> affecting our like mindset. What's the word? Um, the way we perceive. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. No, it's uh, our, like our uh, perception interesting. of reality. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah, how, how, like, the, how it can affect yeah. us like immensely. Like, yeah, and and mental health as well is involved in that too. Um, mm-hmm. And it brings up the the idea of should should there have been more discussion, more experts, not just the experts with the virus um but experts maybe with how it will affect psychology and development and the economy and you know there's all these other experts that probably should have been in the room while they were discussing what to do with Mm -hmm. the pandemic because it's not just the virus that's that's being affected and and people's light living or dying is being affected you have so many other variables and a big one is just mental health. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah. Uh, so what what really got you into philosophy? Like, what kind of piqued your interest? Um, I think it's it's the realization that. It was a realization that there are still uh, kind of many questions that people have about the world that are unanswerable or maybe just not answered yet. Um, And that it's kind of like, I don't know, it's just always been the most interesting thing. Like, but anyways, what I meant for the first part is like, I'm in high school, you learn about math and science, and it seems like there's a lot of answers in these fields, like, um, why is water H2O? Air, Air B answers. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, right or wrong um, things that are just kind of undisputable at this point, like uh, gravity and yeah. <laughs> whatnot, like answers about like why the world is, you know, acts in such a way. Um, but then in the realm of philosophy, um, it's it's pretty much. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I could really claim no answers, but it's it's almost like um, a study of all the things we can't know. Well, you can't, of, you can't, like, definitively prove it. Yeah. A lot of it, right? You can't just be, like, you can't just, like, do an experiment and be like, mm-hmm. this is this is reality. It's more of, like, you, yeah, it's weird in that way that it's kind of just, if you if you agree with their philosophy and it kind of links with your perspective then you can gain some gain some knowledge and maybe get some use mm-hmm. out of the philosophy instead of the answer just mm-hmm. being like a squared or, or some you know some formula to get an answer it's it really it's it's more of like a like a thinking process yeah yeah it's like a method uh, of questioning but i guess for me personally it's like i was raised christian and as far as that goes, like that belief system, there's a, very, a lot of very like big philosophical claims that it makes. Like you know, like God created the, God created the world, uh, souls yeah. exist, heaven exists, um, morality yeah. exists, and so if you get if you're raised Christian, um, you kind of have this like this structure uh, in your worldview where you can kind of like cons- uh, you know contextualize things that you see by your worldview, like, okay, well, God created the world, and that's why we're here, and this is bad, and this is wrong, and this is right, because God said it, and, you know, it makes you understand the world. Anyways, but then if you move away from Christian faith, um, you're kind of in this area where you don't have any real philosophical ground to stand on. Like, nothing really makes sense. It's like, well, if God didn't make it, then why are we here? Because um, because you had this lens that was had all these like preset settings. Yeah, so you would use you would use that lens, and then you'd see the world. But now that the lens is gone, you're missing the roots, the base of your philosophy, and you have to start rethinking things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> totally. What what, what sort yeah. of things have you have you questioned about uh, religion? Um. I think one of the biggest I, I okay. Yeah, so something that Christianity will give you as far as like God creating the world and morality existing is it seems pretty clear cut um to most Christian people that there is a reason that we're here and there is something that we should be doing, um, which is like leading a good God fearing life and being nice to people. Uh, and we're here because God created the world, and there's a plan for the world, right? So when you step away from that, you have two problems, which is I don't know what reality is anymore, and I also don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, the what uh, uh, the the ant the thing is there actually isn't like a real real answer. So at the same time, like it may not be true that god created everything but there's nothing to say that it's not true and there's mm-hmm. nothing to say that anything else is true so mm-hmm. really the theory 
is just as good as any theory. Um, obviously, there'll be a lot of scientists that would say that, you know, like Big Bang and all this stuff, they have a bunch of evidence. But at, at the end of the day, it's it's a theory. And it may have more evidence to support it, but um, they're all theories. So what what I kind of think to myself is it doesn't really matter if your religion or your ideology is true. What matters is what the results of you doing it are. So mm-hmm. if you following this, these rules make you a better person, you work harder and you don't steal, well, go for it, right? But if it makes you like hate anyone that's against your religion and like look down upon others that follow different faiths, then maybe you shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, it's like, choose, choose whatever you want to believe in. Just make sure it doesn't send you down the wrong path. Yeah, I, I do think you're right, like, as far in that we should really kind of judge our beliefs based on the actions they cause rather than the beliefs themselves. Because there's almost really no way that, yeah, like you were saying, that we can disprove or prove things about, you know, how was the world created and those kind of big questions. Um, like, yeah, like yeah. The, the big thing that, that comes comes to me is, like, if you um if you think of all humans as like a projector, right? Mm-hmm. And we're looking at a screen. Like the human conscience is yet to be fully explained by science. So technically, they don't understand how the projector is working. Mm-hmm. But yet, you get them telling you what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really hard to um to to get behind a lot of ideas because at the end of the day i don't even i don't even know where my thoughts come from mm-hmm. so how can you tell me what what i'm seeing when you don't know how my brain works full you know like you don't know how if if i'm reality or if i'm seeing reality or you you know like there's all these theories of if like what came first like the human conscience or the reality or reality than human like there's all these things that we just don't know so that's what makes mm-hmm. philosophy so fun, is you can kind of just explore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially, like, uh, it's fun kind of in a college setting where you can discuss this sort of stuff in class and, uh, you know, talk to a professor who might be, like, very well known <clears throat> in the field and, and be have a lot of, like, interesting things to, like, to add. Stuff like yes. that. I think it's awesome. Yes. Um, but it is like in some areas, like we're lucky because our school has a lot of uh, decent open discussion. But at, in some schools, it's like very sensitive topic topics are not discussed. And mm-hmm. I do think it's incredibly important for these topics to be discussed because they're the ones we need to discuss and debate and get to the bottom of is the sensitive ones. You can't just avoid it because you feel uncomfortable or you don't like the opposition's response. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can be dangerous because it's important to be able to speak your mind regardless if what you're saying is true or not. You know, because it's people deserve the right to, to speak and limiting people's speech um, and and if that gets in the wrong hands, like if me and you got to, you know, control speech, what's what's allowed to be out there, 
then yeah, the world would be great because we have amazing perspectives, you know. But what if it's Donald Trump or, you know, Putin? You know, bad example, Putin. But say Donald Trump is the one that gets to control what's allowed to be said and what's not allowed to be said. That could go down a bad path. Or really anyone, anyone, any one <laughs> individual. You, you can't have, whether it's the left or the right, being able to choose what is allowed to be said, decide what is the truth. It's just too mm-hmm. dangerous. And you can't po- trust politicians with that sort of power because they're notorious for disabusing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know how you think, but like, I don't think that um, we really should make any sort of law about what you can and can't say at all. I think the only thing that you can't do is like um, incite like violence upon other people. Like you can't be like, let's all go to the mosque and beat people up. Yeah. That is like something. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting though. That's like, so does something like that count as, speech or is that something else like um directly calling for it's it's hate speech but it's yeah like I get... violent it's you're calling for violence um but it's a form uh-huh. of speech right a form and of speech yeah i guess and that's where it can be, get like gray because how far do you have to go for it to be like across the line right mm-hmm. um and i think that line should be actually calling for violence I think that's a fair yeah. Like, you can say, I hate these people. You can say, I don't like them. You can say, I don't want to be with them. But you can't say, I want to hurt them. I want to kill them. Or they should be... You can't... You can't... Um, yeah, say anything or ask for any violence towards people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, it like, if... If someone doesn't like you and they call you an F and F and F and this, it's like whatever. Like that, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect you too much. And but then there's the idea of well, you know, there. What if they get like a thousand people, ten thousand people, and all of a sudden everyone in your neighborhood is always calling you names and stuff and and like that. And that's like, well, they shouldn't do it, but should it be illegal? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like, are you going to go into schools and arrest every bully? Because I don't know how you remember high school, but effing bitch is like, like probably the most conservative thing you'll hear. Like people are racist. They say horrible things in high school. And it's just like kind of just accepted as being a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that bullying thing, the bullying stuff is quite interesting. I guess, um, you know, it it is kind of weird, I think, how there is a major push in our public school system to kind of police the actions of the students. Like, like I guess, I think there's an argument to be made that you could say that the right way to go about um, letting children socialize would be to let them figure them themselves out. Like, and I'm not saying like boys should be able to like allowed to beat up children and whatnot, but you know, I, I guess it feels like it might be 
outside of the scope of what a teacher and what a school sh- system should be to police the social interactions between students. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and there's also the issue of, have you ever seen the Stanford, uh, the Stanford like uh, police experiment or whatever, where they have police officers and prisoners and they're just regular civilians. And after like a week, the police officers just abuse their power and basically torment and torture the prisoners. Um, oh, and it yeah, just, yeah. Stanford prison experiment. And yeah, if you, and if you, um, if you give anyone power or influence over another to that degree where you can like seriously affect their life, odds are they're going to abuse it in some way. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's a teacher with a kid. Um, doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, if you start giving, saying, giving them that sort of power, um, to be able to do this or do that, it's, it's dangerous. Um, but then again, you, you, there should be a line. You should be able to have a safe school environment, but at the same time, be able to deal with problems and issues. That's part of being young. Like Mm -hmm. Timmy swears at you. It's like, okay, like it's kind of part of being a child. Timmy beat me up. You know, that's maybe that's not as cool. Yeah. Physical violence should never be tolerated, but um, a little bit of just learning how to deal with people that maybe don't like you. Or learning mm-hmm. how to avoid difficult situations or maneuver in those situations can be important because if you get protected your entire childhood, you might become an adult and not know how to d- deal with yourself in those situations when you are alone. Yeah. No, totally. And I think, like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same, but like for me, like, man, like in early high school, like I think in gym class, really. You're dealing with other guys, you know, competitive. There's, like, a lot of testosterone in there. Like, you're uh, solving a lot of disputes, you know, uh, picking teams, who cheated, who who played fair, um, this sort of stuff. And you're bantering with people on the other team, like, oh, like, you know, kickball, maybe. You're, like, trying to taunt people before they try and kick the ball so they miss. And, like, there's a lot of, like, tension, and there's a whole lot of, like, uh, uh, conflict in those kind of, like, situations and i think i would say like that those kind of things um in early high school might have taught me more valuable lessons than a lot of classes you know what i mean um because to learn how to deal with conflicts um between peers and to be able like to be in situations and solve problems uh, of like you know someone's being mean to you or some someone's being rude to you how should you handle this mm-hmm. It's extremely valuable for your life. Um, yeah. Um, and so, also yeah. being able to like work with the group um, so that you can solve issues or point something out because naturally I found at least with like my group of friends, like when issues came about, they were handled naturally. You know, mm-hmm. it might be someone gets punched in the face cause he, he said something wrong and then he never said it again. Or, you know, like, some someone gets sad and you know things happen and but normally i found that like things things normally figure themselves out and yes there's always one person that gets it worse than someone else but um luckily for me at least at my high school like there wasn't too much of just like horrible 
like psychologically just de- destroying kind of bullying um which that stuff is just so sad to even think about like the full-on mm. like physical torture mental torture sort of stuff um that can scar kids for life mm-hmm. which which does happen uh in the world uh so it's like how do you avoid that that from happening but at the same time keep keep a safe environment for people to have conflict and develop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I guess yeah there definitely is are, are smart teachers who exist and can recognize the sort of dynamics you might want to let um like figure uh, figure themselves out and the sort of thing that you you need to like put a stop to um yes yeah and also to like encourage the sort of um collaborative behavior So if, yeah. you like, if you reward the students for working together instead of like uh, fighting all the time, you know, it's not just having always the one-on-one competition, but doing like teams and maybe putting the douchebag with the geek on the same team to force them to figure stuff out, like that sort of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you force people to work together, especially in difficult situations, they normally end up better off and better friends afterwards. Um, yeah. But, but all these all these things are incredibly important for children's development. Um, and since we're kind of on a segue here, we could talk about a lot of the kids that missed two years of school and that socialization that we're talking about. Um, especially if it's like grade eight and nine uh, for us of over here in Vancouver, where that's high school. Yeah. If you miss grade eight and nine and just get sent in in grade ten, like you are in the dogs. Like that's hard to just adapt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, same with like missing. Imagine missing grade eleven, grade twelve, off to university. That sucks. Like those are some of your golden years. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about elementary school too. There's just so many areas where kids are not going to get the same socialization and maybe a little bit of depression and anxiety and not the same quality of education that they would have had otherwise yeah um i think it will be interesting you know once these kids uh you know in various in various situations like you're talking about whatever year it is if it's like late high school or early elementary school like to hear kind of what they have to say in five or ten years you know um because yeah. i think now that covid's you know been going on for two um and maybe you know in bc here it seems like it might be the issue might be kind of slowly becoming less relevant i'm not saying that disease is going away but it looks like we might be dealing with it more um it's it's no longer at the the forefront yeah the forefront yeah. <laughs> now it's yeah. the, the war in ukraine yeah, so it's going to be uh, cool, I think, because I think there's going to be a whole lot of, like, intellectual um, willpower that's put into kind of, like, unpacking the entire pandemic and uh, trying to, like, 
understand and contextualize it all after the fact. Um, and and uh, yeah, and and also looking at the way that the government dealt with it, um, and the way they talked about it, because yeah. like I am, I am actually very happy with how the Canadian government dealt with the pandemic um, compared to most places. But one thing I do have to say is there was a lot of back and forth and it seemed like they were withholding information. Um, and it seemed mm -hmm. like they would contradict themselves a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that they can use this to study and, and figure out what is, what is a better way to deal with these mask hysteria situations yeah um and you think that maybe because of this the government might be better equipped to handle <laughs> another mass hysteria situation well yeah like the more data you have right yeah like how they how they did this one is they looked at like probably the spanish flu and other past um um infectious diseases or viruses or whatever that we have and they studied them and they did all these probably simulations and they're like okay if we do this vaccine mandate slash keep people in their homes we have the highest percent chance of reducing you know it's all numbers right they're all just mm -hmm. making and seeing what's what's going to happen so now this is like this is relevant solid data because it's the technology of today. It's not like the Spanish flu technology. So we can really look and be and look at all our different technology and figure out the best possible way because it was the, it was the first time that we've had something like this in a while. So obviously it's we're not going to do it perfectly, but now if we're smart, we can be ready. Yeah. You know what's this type of situation I'd want to avoid with this though? Um and this is something I've been thinking about COVID, is that I feel like it might be similar to climate change. And that might not make a lot of sense. But what I mean is that um, there was this problem that I guess, I don't know when climate change first came up, like what, late 80s or 90s or something. It's like, okay, the world's heating up and we need to like cool it down because we're burning too many fossil fuels. And so there's like all this climate change um, legislation that came about like, okay, um, let's watch pollution, um, let's make sure our cars don't burn as much fuel, put as much bad stuff in there, let's uh, try to invest in more clean energy and not mine as much coal and not use as much oil for heating. And, like, um, I guess a lot of what these, uh, these legislation with the climate change have done is uh, it kind of puts a bit of a choke on the economy and that's like the right wing talking point where it's like we should get rid of the carbon tax um because people are paying too much for gas and it's like uh restricting the economy right um and with climate change it kind of seems like a a country maybe like china or india who have looser legislation when it comes to climate change might be able to get ahead of like the u.s or canada because um they can use well, cheaper energy yeah, I, right. I, I agree somewhat into the idea that unless everyone is on the same page, it doesn't matter if Canada and the U.S. and and England or whatever decide to um, start being better for the environment. Um, if like China and India and all these other countries are still producing 
um, like a crap ton of emissions, we're mm-hmm. still going to be screwed. It'll take a little longer, but we're still going to be screwed. Um, but we also don't have the right to tell them not to because we evolved, industrialized yeah. using those emissions. So we're basically saying you have to stay behind and not evolve like we did because we fucked up the environment and well so did you but we really fucked it up because we did it first mm-hmm. so you can't do it because we did it first and you're going to be behind because of it they're like fuck you <laughs> like we're not going to do that yeah. and if i was them i would probably say fuck you too because they're trying to they're trying to evolve industrialize and be like a be like canada in the u.s you know yeah and that's how the free market works right like uh whoever can take the initiative will but i guess like where i was going was like i think covid's similar in that it kind of also slows down our economy you know like how restaurants have to shut down they're not allowed as many customers inside yeah not everyone's going to work um yeah massively a lot uh, things are changing you know a lot of businesses had to shut down um because of the restrictions and whatnot and so to deal with the disease, um, we kind of had to make our economy less efficient. Um, and and it seems like we're in an awkward place where instead of really shutting things down like all the way and just solving COVID, um, like maybe if we could do that with like a two-month quarantine where everyone's just fully locked down, um, we're, we're kind of instead just like stretching things out and making the economy weaker and just slowly hoping COVID goes away. Um, well, so, that's, that's something that they'll be able to analyze. Yeah. And they'll be able to run a simulation where they did do a two-month full shutdown and see how that turned out, um, right? Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, it's all just risk and theories and probability. And they had the experts, you know, and they made the best decision they could. They probably should have had some uh, economy experts making the decision as well. Um, Because I think they would have made a different, maybe a better decision. Because not only does it affect the overall GDP, but it also affects people losing their jobs, right? Like, like, oh yeah, my mortgage got deferred, but I'm still fucked when it comes back. (laughs) Like, like it didn't really help me that the bank's like, oh, you don't have to pay your mortgage. We'll just add more interest and you can pay it later. Like, Mm -hmm. thanks. Like, now I'm fucked. Like, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people, especially that were living paycheck to paycheck, that are fucked because the economy was shut down. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have shut down. I'm saying that there are side effects to every decision. And there are always going to be people that suffer. Um, And that's what makes this, these decisions so hard. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if we want to talk about something a bit on the brighter side, I think, like, uh, yeah, like I'm interested in how you feel about this. Like, I, uh, when did I graduate high school? 2018. And then I worked. Um, and then I worked for a year. And I went to music school for a year. And then um, COVID hit in 2019, um, right, like, while I was in music school. And it was the year of, like, kind of full lockdown. And then now in 2021, September... You know, I went to college, started my first semester of college. And I guess after being away from school and like things being shut down, 
um, being able to actually go to school like in person in September um, and meet people and have uh, peers and students that I can actually, you know, and teachers that I can actually talk to, um, it was actually like made me realize that school is actually very, very cool. Like it's actually like really good and a lot of fun. Well, it's, it <laughs> definitely it, compared to online yeah. school. Yeah. It was like on, I, online school is just horrible. Yeah, like I think there's a chance that COVID and because of the, the lockdowns might have made a lot of people realize how precious social socialization Human is. You connection. Know? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's definitely something I wouldn't say I didn't realize. Like, I mean, I liked hanging out with people and seeing people, but I didn't, I didn't know or how much it really is a good. Um, that, like, just to what degree? That's like that's kind of funny because like. I was like, I was a very, very big social animal um, mm. before the pandemic, and I had been my whole life. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic showed me how important being by yourself is. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's like we have the opposite uh, lesson. Uh-huh. Um, it's like I I learned the value of look going inside and working on yourself, and and being able to be alone, like. Yeah, that, that's the skill that I learned. But I also like missed it, and I and I do value it more. But the biggest one for me was being able to do things for myself and mm. not for other people, and not have to be with people. Yeah, um, no, okay, that is interesting because that's a bit of a different. Like because you already kind of had uh, the because I started social, like yeah. Uber social, and went less yeah. social um and i i don't know but it's just that just shows that like different experiences cause different lessons right well yeah i mean maybe you wouldn't have to say less social but maybe you could say you were maybe more dependent socially uh yeah like yeah needed, exactly, exactly you needed to be social I ne- but i needed it but now yeah. it's more i i want it you want it and you're more independent now which is is definitely yeah good. Yeah. yeah and but also just I think it kind of forced people to just work on themselves because what else are you going to do? Like there was a a period where you couldn't see other people. Like you actually couldn't, it was just you and your family in your home and you had Mm -hmm. to figure out things to do or else you would go crazy and you can't just play call of duty all day. So you have to like, you have to start thinking like, what, what, what can I do? Like go for a run. Can I meditate? Like, what can I do? And, as we're coming out, you'll see some people will have completely changed into completely new people. And some yeah. people will have just spiraled to shit. Um, and it's not that it's good or bad. It's just the truth. You know, some people will come out strong and some people won't. And it'll be interesting to see who's who. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it also shows like for me, like I'm very privileged. I have, I had a gym that was open pretty much the whole time. Um, I was skiing a lot. These are things that helped me stay sane. And a lot of people don't even have those options. So it, it showed me definitely that I do have privilege. Um, and it's more of a money privilege. Uh, mm. but yeah, it definitely exists. Um, but mm-hmm. also onto audio engineering. You're really into audio engineering, right? Yes. 
So uh, tell me a little bit about what you like to do with that. Well, I, I guess, I don't know what interest, interesting is to talk about like what I do, but I guess something that would be cool to talk about is that um, the art of audio engineering and like of mixing and mastering is actually like one of the most incredibly dense and like deep kind of uh <laughs> kind of arts there there are in like the modern age i'd say and like it, it seems like a pretty self-contained industry in that not many people who aren't involved in it really know too much about it or maybe don't want to know anything about it um but there is a huge amount of information and there's i mean more incredibly i'd say there's just a huge amount of skill and i'm not saying that i'm like the most skilled person but like um there's a lot of like extremely kind of like elite level um mix mixed people um engineers who exist in the world um and their talent isn't really recognized um or even really understood by um the general population i think uh yeah yeah i i agree um like i i don't know too much about it but i do know it is incredibly complex um and the way technology is these days there's just so much you can do mm -hmm. it's almost like unlimited amount of things you can do mm -hmm. um and different sounds and all these different things and if you find the right sound you can you can make it you could sell that sound or or whatever Mm -hmm. um, and I know that a lot of big artists, the the real magic behind their music is their engineers. Yeah, no, for real. Um, I think, especially in pop music, uh, things that are on the radio, um, it's sounding professional and being up to like the the I, I guess the, the technical level, you would say, um, is like just kind of of the utmost importance. Um, might even probably be second to the actual songwriting and like you know uh, that what sort of what thing. makes a good song in in the perspective from the of, of an engineer yeah so i think the number one thing that i would say would be that it sounds good on any sort of system um, because in our society now, with the way people listen to music, people listen to music on like a variety, like a huge variety of many different things. So like you might listen to music off your phone speakers, you might listen to it on headphones, you might listen to it on expensive headphones, you might listen to it on cheap headphones, probably listen to music in the car, um, you might listen to music on a Bluetooth speaker, um, you might listen to music like on, on your TV speakers or something like, or maybe like in a speaker kind of system in your house. Um, and uh, audio engineer has to take a song and make it sound good, um, but they also have to make it sound good on every single one of those systems at the same time. Um, that is very and, interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. And that is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing different about the file. Like, so if you're on Spotify there's only one file, whether you're playing it off your phone or off the TV or in the car. Um, there's only one 
set of information of like the the samples which makes up the song um so whoever's mixing that song you know you have to mix for every single system at the same time how how do you even do that how do you cater to all the systems yeah so i think the number one thing um would be when you start to mix a song you want to start with the intention of you know it sounding good on every system so you might want to realize some things about the th- uh, about the system you're mixing it on so okay i'm using some really good speakers to mix this song um so um maybe i need to realize that not every system is going to have the same kind of clear highs as these speakers so maybe i need to make the highs a bit cl- uh, a bit louder than i think sounds necessary on these speakers um for example but then also i think the most important thing is uh what we call referencing where okay i'm mixing my song and i think it sounds pretty cool on like my main monitors um but let me make a demo of it and i'm going to go down and play in my car um and then you hear it in the car and maybe you play a different song that's like popular that you know you think sounds good in the car and you're like oh okay this song the bass sounded a lot um more controlled in, in this other song than my song so maybe you need to tone down the bass a bit and, and you know you reference cross-reference and, and make adjustments between different systems that is very cool that is very very cool what else yeah. what else yeah. is important? what else yeah i mean it's you know more or less the same thing but like if if you're mixing something you might randomly feel like okay i got this this cheap pair of like 40 dollars bluetooth headphones let me just quickly connect this to my computer and see how it sounds and like man it is crazy how you might be mixing something that sounds pretty fresh on your monitors. It might sound pretty good. But then the second you reference it, it's like, oh my, what is going on? <laughs> like, what have I done to this mix? This mix is not good. Um, and uh, when you reference things, it, it can kind of open your eyes to a lot of uh, some unforeseen problems I guess your mix might have. But yeah. What about like, like what what is a viral, like crazy popular song have because mm. a lot of the times you see the songs and it's just like it's like it's so cringe but yet it has like a 500 million listens mm-hmm. and you're like and i'm just like what is it in that like it must be some engine like the beat or something like yeah. something's in there that i'm not seeing that everyone loves okay i mean i i think it would be interesting to talk about engineering in that context, but I would have to say that primarily it would be about songwriting, where if something's viral, it's usually because of the way it sounds. And and, and I would say um, that we have evidence for that, because if you look on TikTok there's a, and SoundCloud, stuff like this, YouTube, there's a lot of songs that become really, really popular that don't actually have the most professional engineering, like maybe from people yeah. who, um, yeah. who uh, are like, amateurs you like make a their first or third song and it's just incredible hit um songwriting wise and everyone loves it um but i'd still say that there's like a kind of a general level of expertise that you need for something to be able to really be popular like i mean if it's just like horrible like objectively engineering wise is never going to be able to like be a hit um but you know you might be able to be just to have like a good mix and not like a top of the industry incredible mix and still become very popular yeah 
Yeah, do you think that might be a reason why they don't get as much respect? Because it's just people just, they just don't get it. And they're listening to the 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 lyrics and the and they're looking at the artist and I guess that kind of makes it cool because you're not in the spotlight as much, but you still mm-hmm. get like the money, but you don't get the stress of being like a celebrity as much. Mm-hmm. And it's it's honestly it's 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 really cool. Um, do you have a favorite engineer? Hmm. Do I have a favorite engineer? I think in terms of people who I look up to, like I'm a producer as well, right? Um, so for that, I think I would have to say my favorite engineer might be Mike Dean, um, who is Kanye's engineer. Um, because I guess my favorite Kanye album would be Yeezus. Um, and I just think that like production-wise, engineering-wise, and like songwriting-wise, it's just like, that whole album is kind of just incredible to me. I think it's like damn near perfect. Um, so yeah, I, I really like Mike Dean. Um, I guess other than that, um, other than that, who else do I really like engineering wise? I guess I, I don't know. I really look up to some of my like instructors that I had in, um, in music school. Um, because I think a lot of the, uh, the kind of wonder that you might be able to get for engineering is when you can really see someone work and like turn a mix into something. Um, and obviously I haven't been able to see, um, as many like, you know, a tier engineers who are like working professionally mix, but I have been able to see, you know, my instructors at college mix. So I guess like those, those people I would say are some of my favorite engineers as well. Yes, it's always nice to have someone to look up to and to watch do some crazy stuff because it's no different than watching like a rapper freestyle or mm-hmm. or watching someone with their paintbrush. It's mm-hmm. it's it's an art form the way they put it together. And I think it's it needs a little more uh, recognition because it's amazing. Yeah. And music is something that's so close to everybody and it's so important like i don't know if you had spotify but spotify was went down for like an hour Mm. like last week or something Mm -hmm. and it was like the fucking atomic bomb had dropped like there was probably more activity um on twitter about spotify (laughs) going down than Mm -hmm. it was after like ukraine getting attacked like everybody was losing their marbles and it was an hour and what? that just shows how important music is. If you had something downloaded, could you still listen to it on Spotify? No, no, you couldn't get oh to the apps. Yeah, it oh, logged wow. everyone out. So Damn. literally, you didn't have access. And I was like tripping out. I'm like, I'm going to the gym. I can't listen to a podcast on the way to the gym. I can't yeah. work out. Like, yeah. when is it coming back? Like, oh my god! Like all of a sudden, <laughs> I had all this stress. Yeah. Because I I just took for granted this this little green app on my phone. Uh huh. Um, but it shows how important music is and if you can create something that makes people like feel good like is there a way to kind of like create something that like you know that feeling when you get when you get a song that kind of clicks with you Mm -hmm. like what is that is that the like engineering kind of vibes with your with your you know your energy or like what's going on there so i'd say probably the most 
important um, thing if you want to do that, um, <laughs> which you described as the feeling of hearing a good song. But I know what you mean. It's like you're, you're like it comes on. Like and you're like you're like putting that in my playlist. Like that. Yeah, it's like an I emotional like response. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a wow. Yeah. I'd say if you want to do that, then you need to be able to recognize it when you hear it. Um, like if you're in the studio and you're coming up with an idea um, and you hear something and it's like, oh, that there's something in that. Like I, I can hear greatness in there somewhere. OK, so let's let's focus on that. Let's get that in. Let's record that. Um, and um, in the energy in the studio, um, trying to get a take that really has passion in it and like just really like. I, I feel like in those moments when you hear a really good song and you feel like the energy, the emotion coming off of it, like like fucking fire or something. Yeah. That is usually because whoever was making the song um, in the moment realized and felt that energy as well. And they put their energy into capturing that moment yes. as, as good as possible. And that uh, goes with most art is when the artist is like very into it emotionally and like they're telling they're like kind of like telling a story through their actions mm -hmm. or or whatever they're creating. And then people relate to it because they might have had a similar experience. And it's cool because they're not saying anything. They've just like symbolized it in a in a in some art. And other people look at it or listen to it and get a similar feeling. Yeah. Though, you know, one cool thing about the way engineering is um is that unlike recording, um, it's something that really isn't a performance. Uh, like engineering is like, um, it's almost more like painting um, than dancing or something like that, where you can spend as much time as you want with it. And you can, um, everything in engineering, um, you can spend time to make it better. Um, because, you know, when you have a song and you're mixing it, you know, you, you can play it back 500 times each time you change something a little bit, save it, save a copy, uh, undo, redo. Um, and there's really an infinite amount of ways that um, you can change it. Um, but as far as like performance goes, performance is is unique. You know, you can't do the same thing with a performance. You can't go back two seconds and slightly change something. Um, you know, so. Yeah, um, that's yeah. very true. So nice. that's that's why I think they work well together, right? So like performance, you get that energy that you want, and then uh, engineering, you can like really kind of get scientific with it and bring out, you know, just through compression and EQ or whatever, you can try to bring out the exact perfect energy out of it after the fact. It's it's crazy how complex it all really is, and but it's it's also funny how the normally it's just the singer. Not even the songwriter or the engineer, or like anyone in the background, that, mm -hmm. that that gets most of the credit. Well, not the credit, but the they get the the celeb status. Yeah, um, but I think that might have to do. <laughs> I, I think that the engineers, engineers at large, kind of take pride in their work, um, and they don't really feel the need or they don't really necessarily even want to like be known um yeah it's like because engineers that are good um they are known as good in the industry and they get paid you know very well really well yeah. assume um but i think they might have to draw a lot of their like 
um, validation from just being kind of known like in their small kind of elite engine super engineering circles versus uh, the fame of like being an artist or something like that yeah it's similar to like movies where it's like you're mm-hmm. the actor and you have like all this stuff in the background yeah it doesn't get as much but like I, the I director it, of photography or something yeah, who's, yeah. who's like probably just as important as well even even the, the director like there's a lot of people that know the director but majority of the population is just there for the for the actors and yeah. i think it's because they're the ones you're seeing like on stage like singing like they're the ones you're seeing most of the time so that's the one you're gonna thing you're gonna attach to yeah. um and they're normally like designed to be seen like attractive and all those things um but personally i think the jackpot is to be behind the scenes because it's a lot a lot of celebrities end up with drugs or suicide um i don't know why that is um but it Mm -hmm. seems to be it seems to be hard uh near your end of your career to be a celebrity i mean yeah maybe um but it also might not take as much work um and it definitely might be you know more fun um yeah because as as far as engineering goes like it's, it's definitely not as uh as fun as being an artist uh then it probably doesn't pay as well either. But um, I, I guess to really be um, the tip, uh, tippity top of the industry, you need to you know love it and have just like an incredible work ethic. And uh, that's what I guess anything. those. Yeah, those if you people love tend it. To be, if you love it, it's like it doesn't matter. Yeah, because but you know, for uh, for every song, I think any song that you hear on the radio that's really big, like um, that's by like a, you know a big record label not an indie artist, like something that's really professional. I would, I would probably say that the majority of hours um, put into the song, um, put into any song right now would be in engineering. More than, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely the, the workhorse or the Mm -hmm. workhorse. And, and it's good because you can take pride in that if that's something you're into, right? You take pride in being the the engine of the machine, yeah, keeping everything going. But this yeah. is we're coming we're coming near here, so I got a couple questions I want to say because this is one of my favorite questions to ask is, do you have a favorite spot in Vancouver to eat? Um, yeah, I guess I do. I I think I'm more about like the memories than than the, <laughs> than the food, but I guess like I really like this one spot on like Broadway. Um, that's just like a small little sushi spot called the uh, Sushi Dragon, I think. Um, and I've been there a lot. And like, it's just a really kind of nice get? place. Uh, I just get, you know, Combo A or combo get, like <laughs> Don Burry or something like, you know, just something just nice, like classic. What's your, what's your sushi. Favorite, favorite sushi rolls? I guess like my favorite sushi roll might be like, like what is it? Like a cream cheese and like salmon like avocado i don't really even know what it's called um, oh yeah yeah I've, I've yeah had something like that those things there's just anything with like tempura in it i think is pretty good i'm uh, into the dragon rolls like the barbecued mm-hmm. unagi on like a dynamite roll with like some drizzle on it oh yeah i guess other than that there's this place in caresdale um like 41st and well just past 41st and like west boulevard it's called um sofras and it's, I think it's a Mediterranean restaurant, 
and like you just get like a platter with like rice chicken and like hummus um and it's just incredible just i should go there i haven't been there like a year sounds so good it's so good sofra i think it's sofras yeah sofras yeah dude vancouver has some of the best cuisines we have really good international cuisines Mm. incredible culture but we're coming to an end here it's been a lovely conversation ryan i appreciate you coming on to chat with me Oh, thanks for having me, Graham. I uh, enjoyed myself quite a bit, so thank you. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. All right.